You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to an emergency pod! <laughs> Hopefully that was super loud and annoying for all of you. This is an emergency pod. Frank and I talked, I don't know, 12 hours ago, so I'm not used to having to deal with Frank again this so this soon in my day. Um, but I think we're having this for... A good reason. The Milwaukee Bucks have traded for Eric Bledsoe. Uh, They have given up Greg Monroe and a second-round pick uh, that I believe is top 47 protected in 2018. And then the first-round pick, details are coming out about this literally as we try to attempt uh, to do this podcast. So hopefully we don't have to update it again um but from what we just saw from john gamadoro um he is uh, i believe a radio guy yeah a sports radio talk show host on arizona sports 98.7 gamadoro says that the suns only get the pick in 2018 so this upcoming year if it is between 11 and 16, so that would be the end of the lottery and then the final two teams to make the playoffs. If not, it rolls over to 2019, where they would only get it if it is 4 through 16. Uh, so again, kind of the same thing uh, in, in a, a similar kind of strange spot. And then if the pick rolls over to 2020, it is, predict- it is protected 1 through 7. And then in 2021, the pick would be completely unprotected. Um, so I think really un- unless by 2020, the Bucks are one of the five or I guess one of the six best teams in the league or I'm trying to think, uh, no, it's some of the worst teams in the yeah. league. Yeah. So essentially I think you could think that this pick will convey in 2020, right? Yeah. I think that would be the likely time, which I guess is nice-ish uh, if you want to be able to keep uh, some of those cheap contracts while you build with Giannis. Obviously, his contract runs through 2020, um, right? Or is it 2021? 2020. 2021, I believe. Okay, so that rolls through 2021. So essentially for the entirety of Giannis's time in Milwaukee, you should get to to keep your first-round picks, or at least in, in hey, these man, first two ext- years. he's a positive vibes Giannis is getting that supermax in 2020 let's not let's not talk about a world without Giannis and Milwaukee but fine okay uh but either way the 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 picks are a little bit unusual maybe a little bit difficult to understand but essentially it means that the Bucks probably keep their first rounders in 18 and 19 um and would give up their first rounder in this trade in 2020 uh so a little bit unique a little bit different uh but still the uh, I guess the moral of the story is the Bucks get Eric Bledsoe for Greg Monroe, a first-round pick, and a second-round pick. Um, we'll see when they convey, but that would be uh, your your summation of that trade. Frank, I guess initial thoughts when you saw the deal. I think you tweeted out something before we had details about it. It was, I don't know if I've ever been as simultaneously excited and terrified or something of that nature. Um before we knew the de- the details on this deal. Yeah, well, we talked about, obviously, the parameters of a Bledsoe deal that we'd be comfortable with. And, um, you know, I think for both of us, it would involve not giving up Thonmaker or, more importantly, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, and so what we kind of ended up, obviously, the protections kind of make things a bit weird. Um, and there's that second rounder, which, you know, we didn't talk much about. It was really talking more about a first round pick or is DJ Wilson involved? Something like that. Um, 
But effectively, we kind of got like the most simplified version of this trade. And it's basically a trade that, you know, ships out an expiring salary for Eric Bledsoe has two years left at 14 and a half million this year, 15 million next year. Then he's a free agent in 2019. And so the Bucks take on money next year, which is important. And we can talk more about that. Um, but they do get a guy who obviously is, I would say, an impact player. Is he a, you know, an all-star caliber player? Well, probably marginal, you know, depends on, on a lot of things there. But I'd say certainly has all-star caliber potential, at least, especially in the East. Um, and he's obviously a guy who, um, while I would say is not a, a perfect fit for what the Bucks would want, you know, he's not like a guy shooting 30-foot threes off the dribble and spacing the floor <laughs> in incredible ways like Steph Curry. But yeah. for a guy that you can get for Greg Monroe and, you know, a protected first-round pick, he does some pretty dynamic things on on both ends and um there are risks with this he's had you know knee injuries uh in the past uh hasn't had one i guess in a couple years but um obviously there's concerns about his health and you know what happens after these two years etc etc can i tell you something um, frank i'm terrified that we're gonna get done with this podcast and then like there's gonna be like a veto deal or something just because like physicals don't work out because the physicals actually matter in this situation they do like they do a lot of the times you just assume physicals will get done and guys will be ready to go but in this case they they very much matter yeah and sean devaney from the sporting news wrote about it today after the trade you know kind of highlighting some the the risk in this trade right i mean there's there's you know as they say in economics there are no free lunches and um, not just a first round pick going out but uh eric bledsoe had uh a meniscus injury i believe in his right knee in 2011 and then he ultimately had that meniscus removed in 2014 so he's had basically no meniscus in his right knee for the last few years um you know which i think the, the fundamental issue there is that you're you know more likely to to have injuries and issues there in that knee and then he had a meniscus injury in 2015 in his left knee and had i think it partly shaved off so you know devaney was making the point of hey you've got basically half a meniscus in this guy and that's a risk <sighs> yeah. and um you know i think for the next you know, two years, obviously you hope that things kind of just work out and, and then you kind of cross the bridge over his, you know, potential longer term concerns, uh, in 2019 free agency. But obviously that's, that's also part of this, you know, discussion, but I think the big thing for Bucks fans and, you know, I feel when, when I saw that the ultimate, you know, deal parameters come out, and obviously we're still trying to digest some of the pick protections and things like that. But fundamentally I was, I was happy about the move. Um, it, it has risk, you know, as we were just discussing, there's other pieces of this that, that entail risk, giving up a first-round pick, regardless of when it comes down the pike, always involves risk. Um, but on a fundamental level, this is a team that we knew has some young talent, has to get the most out of its young talent. They have one transcendent player in Giannis, but they needed to figure out a way to bring in more talent without giving up you know, some of those young pieces that you hope can still grow into something even bigger, because that's how you ultimately contend. You know, you add pieces um, to your superstar and, and those pieces end up being more than just, you know, decent role players. Right. Yeah. And so um, obviously there's questions about how good Chris Middleton can be. Can he be, you know, probably a third banana, I would say on a, on a, on an awesome team. Yep. Second, maybe a bit much. Um, Jabari Parker is injury. We don't know, injured. We don't know how what he's going to look like coming back uh, later this year. Um, he's obviously still a dice roll in kind of the grand scheme of things, and we'll talk about how this affects his next contract. Um, and then you've got guys like I think Malcolm Brogdon having a very nice start to the year. Um, Thon Maker not such a nice start, but still a very interesting piece. And so you got all these kind of pieces kind of floating together, and to get Eric Bledsoe, you know, without having to give up anything near term and potentially not, you know, a guy that you'd even get until 2020 in terms of that first round pick. Um, I think this is a move that John Horst should have made. And, you know, we may come back later to regret it, but look at it this way. Basically the Bucks gave up probably less for Eric Bled for two years of Eric Bledsoe than they did for one year of Grievous Vasquez. <laughs> you know, like um, that might speak more to the Grievous Vasquez. Deal, yeah, yes. yeah, and that that kind of tells you just the broad spectrum of of how good and bad trades can be. And obviously, this ends up being a very good one. But um, I think Eric Bledsoe obviously is is the kind of talent that you know if you can add him and provide that shot in the arm to an offense and defense that has obviously had has obvious concerns, especially in terms of having sort of those you know, playmaking type, um, shot creators that they've lacked offensively, um, for, you know, a while now, um, to be able to add Eric Bledsoe, hopefully this means you can marginalize Matthew Del Vadova and we can talk maybe about what the next moves for the Bucks might be after this. Um, but I think, you know, as we've talked about the idea of going from Brogdon and Delhi to Bledsoe and Brogdon 
that's a huge upgrade, at least yep. on paper, right? If they can stay yep. healthy and kind of mesh. So I think that's really exciting. And uh, obviously the fact that you get to keep kind of all your current pieces um, is important. And look, in the past, we've we've rightfully always sort of had this focus on, well, what does this move mean two, three, four years down the road for the Bucs? Giannis is an MVP candidate. You know, the East is a mess. Um, I don't think anyone would say go all in this year. But if you can make moves like this that, you know, take marginal kind of assets and turn them into hopefully assets that really help you accelerate your growth curve as a team and increase your ceiling over the next couple of years, I think you have to do that. You know, John Horst, shoot your shot. And I think for John Horst, you know, we've been waiting for his first big move and he was patient and there was talk about Kyrie and, you know, a potentially big price for that. They didn't do anything there. They obviously come back. Eric Bledsoe is not Kyrie Irving, but in terms of, you know, the price paid, uh, I think you have to give John Horst really high marks for, you know, sticking to his guns, not giving up any of those really key uh, pieces on the roster and being able to add a guy that I think can make a big difference uh, and over the next couple of years. So, um, you know, again, we'll see how hindsight grades this, you know, a year from now, two years from now. Um, but I think right now this is a move that, um, you know, I, I think you just have to give John Horst and the rest of the organization a lot of credit on and say it was it was absolutely worth the risk. Yeah, I think at the start of the day when you looked at it, you saw that first tweet. The the thought was, "Oh no, have the Bucks gotten to a level of desperation yeah. where they're going to give up something that hinders your ability to compete in the future? Uh, have they given up something potentially big that that we think has either a lot of potential, uh, like Thon, to be kind of the the perfect five to go along with Giannis, or they're giving up a guy in Brogdon who, though he may not be one of the best point guards in the league, someone that is undeniably a good basketball player and can really help his team going forward. Do they give up one of those pieces? And they, they didn't. So to me, just seeing that it's, it's a first-rounder and Greg Monroe, and now maybe that that first-rounder doesn't convey to 2020, I think we can argue whether or not it would be better to just get it out of the way in 2018 or to keep it for 2020. But I, I think it, it's probably good for now that you still have those young pieces to build as you're con- hopefully contending at a higher level with Eric Bledsoe. Um, as far as how it affects the, the team as a whole, um, one, I will say I, I've been a Greg Monroe defender for a long time. Um, I think he has he had a fantastic year last year, a, a season worthy of six-man-of-the-year consideration that he didn't receive, um, and he's put up with a bunch of shit, really. Like he, He's put up with getting jerked around in, in the lineup, getting uh, DNPs on random nights, getting a smaller role than he would have probably ever expected. And I thought throughout all of this, he handled it as a professional and ended up being a guy that uh, was never really afraid to talk to the media or anything like that. So for that, I will say, Greg, thank you. Uh, I very much appreciate that. Um, and I, I thought last year he did a lot of good things to become a better defender. And there, there's a lot there with Greg Monroe. Um, and it's going to be a, a tough role to fill because obviously I think this puts a lot more pressure on John Henson and Thon Maker, and we can talk about that here in a little bit. But um, losing Monroe in that way I, I think is worrisome, and I know I've had a number of people since the the deal, again, the deal hasn't gone down yet, but the, the idea of the deal going down, um, since that moment, I've had some people ask me, like, well, what do you do with the bench now? Like, you don't have Monroe anymore as, as, your, as your playmaker there. Like, how, how does this work out? And uh, they're like, I've had people ask, like, oh, who leads the bench unit? And my answer is Giannis, Chris, and Eric Bledsoe. Like that's that's who leads the bench unit. You're going to stagger them in ways uh, where obviously we just recorded last night how bad the Bucks have been when you haven't had Giannis and Chris on the floor. Like anytime it's just one of them, the the Bucks have really struggled this year. And I think that's really where Eric Bledsoe helps you out, where you can find ways to to pair them in different ways, whether that's uh, Giannis and Bledsoe, and then Chris and Malcolm getting a little bit more time, or you flip those around and it's uh, Bledsoe and Middleton and Giannis and Brogdon getting some more time with the bench units. However it may be, I, I think you have a, a plethora of guys now in in those positions that can be really helpful players that 
you have two guys in Bledsoe and Brogdon that can be starting point guards in the NBA. And in Brogdon, you have a guy that can also probably play some two. Maybe Bledsoe can do that as well, obviously. He's a little bit shorter, and I don't know how much he's loved the idea of ever being off-ball. Um, but uh, but, he, I, but he's done it, right, with Goran Dragic in he, particular, and I think he, a little bit of uh, Brandon yes. Knight before Brandon Knight he, you know, he's fell a, into a... A crater of injuries, yeah. He, he's already gone through that. Like, so, like, he can function in those same roles. And because of that, I, I think you have a lot of flexibility because then you also have a guy like Tony Snell who has played up to 35 minutes a night, but maybe he only plays, I don't know, 30 minutes a night. And you have a guy in Chris Middleton that plays 35 minutes a night, and you have a guy in Giannis that plays 35 to 38 minutes a night. So all those guys you're still going to use those guys as much as possible. You're going to put them on the floor as much as possible. But what it does is you can use those guys more creatively to cover those minutes more efficiently, and then you can bump some other guys out of the rotation. And my first thoughts that I tweeted out when this happened was essentially what we've been talking about in bumping people down in the pecking order where this year Chris has been the number two option offensively. Malcolm Brogdon has been the number three option offensively. And then Delhi's been your backup point guard, and everyone takes a bump down. And whether or not you believe Eric Bledsoe is undoubtedly uh, a number two, or maybe you still have some questions about it, at least in this in this role in this uh, on this roster in this team, he's at least two A two B with Chris Middleton, and I think that's a good role for both of them. Uh, they both maybe they're both better as threes. I, I don't really know, but the fact that both of them can have someone else there makes them that much better. And then I think you just look at a domino effect through the rest of the rotation. Instead of Delhi playing twenty minutes a night, well, maybe you get the leftover scraps at the backup two, which or really the backup backup too, because there shouldn't be uh, a ton of minutes there. There haven't been already this season. There's maybe been 10 to 15 a game uh, thus far this season, and that should get bumped down even lower now um, as you have all these other guys. So you, you get to take Delhi uh, to me, effectively out of the rotation. Uh, I, I don't see how he fits in with the talented guys you have at those positions. So you're I, able I, to feel like, I feel like Jason Jason Kidd will always find a way to get Delhi minutes, though, right? Isn't that our fear? Right yes. Now, I, don't, but... I don't disagree. But hopefully that the use of Delhi, the finding a way to get Delhi minutes is getting Delhi five to eight minutes, not getting Delhi 20 minutes. Because uh, uh, if you're getting Delhi 20 minutes, I have no idea how this rotation is working out because it, it wouldn't make any sense. Um, so, so I think to me, the exciting thing is everyone's roles make a little bit more sense now. They fit into those places a little bit better. They're a little bit more capable of actually executing those roles, and you're not asking guys to play above above their level and above the responsibility that they should have. So you're bumping everyone down, and I think it should be a really positive thing for really a lot of those guys because – Again, now you're going to get to see Brogdon against bench units, I think, a little bit more often. And obviously, that was a role that he was fantastic in last year. Um, so, although, I, although, let's be honest, we got to pour one out for Brogro. Yeah. Um, I, I'll probably never say that stupid phrase again, but Brogdon and Greg Monroe obviously were great together for long stretches last year. And, and obviously, things are now going to have to change. Although, Obviously, we haven't really seen Greg Monroe at full strength this season, and yeah. you know it was sort of it seemed like kind of inevitable. Obviously, especially with him being an expiring contract, that that they were going to have to figure out some other way to reconfigure their bench, and and obviously they're probably now going in a more traditional direction with you know guys in in Thon and and Henson who are much more um, you know kind of bigs that are more defensively oriented or at least have more flexibility defensively um, and more or less stay out of the way offensively. So for better or worse, you know, it really is about those guys you mentioned in terms of the offense. It does obviously become much more about obviously Giannis, Chris, Bledsoe, um, and eventually Jabari rather than the sort of, you know, perhaps, I don't want to say outdated, but obviously different, you know, Greg Monroe-led second yep. unit, which which worked last year. And, and you know, that's a, I think that was always a question, but Another question was, you know, were you going to be able to get that same amount from Greg this year, especially on both ends when he played pretty well defensively last year? Um, so I, I guess all of that makes more sense to me. I think this makes people's roles make a little bit more sense. Um, but I, I do think, once again, this is, I don't know, essentially going out and buying the noose for the the ownership group that, okay, we now... 
the one thing what on this podcast we've been complaining about for the last week is point of attack right you're not handling point of attack you're not handling point guards you're not handling pick and roll defense well again maybe he doesn't have that same potential that he used to but Kevin Arnovitz the other day referred to him as what a top three to five point guard in the league defending other point guards Um, even if he doesn't have that top five potential he has that top 10 potential you have a point guard now that has the elite quickness that Brogdon and Delhi don't have though they can be strong defenders and can work very hard defensively and can understand the system those two guys just don't have that quickness and Eric Bledsoe does have that so so to me, you now have, again, it, we asked the other day, do, how good are these guys really defensively? Well, Eric Bledsoe's a good defender. I, I, have, I have no doubt about that. And he can turn on the screws a little bit. He can turn the screws on opposing offenses from that point guard position. So, again, I don't think there were excuses for the defense to be bad uh, before the year. Now there are really no excuses for this defense to be bad because uh, if you're looking for an archetypal point guard to put in this position, it's Eric Bledsoe, right? Like with this defensive scheme, with the wingspan, with the quickness, with the ability to switch, with the ability to do all these things, like that's Eric Bledsoe. That was the guy you dreamed up to put in the point guard spot of this defense. He's here now. So you don't I, I don't think there's any excuses there. No, I, and, and I think that speaks more broadly to, you know, this team's upside now, especially because you gave up a guy, obviously, who Greg was a, a major contributor last year. I mean, we need to say it again. He was probably the second most valuable player on this team last year when you factor yep. in the injuries to Chris and Jabari. Um, obviously, the thesis moving forward was that he you could not rely on him to be in such a big role. Um, and, and obviously now we're, you know, we've seen that the last week or two and we're going to see it for the rest of the Bucks franchise in the future now that Greg's been uh, been moved. Um, and I, so I think it's interesting because, you know, there was – I know I saw a couple comments of like, well, this is now like, you know, uh, buys kids some time. And, and that's that's very well possible, right? I mean, that, that now the ownership and, and the front office is going to have more patience – with Jason Kidd because now it's like oh well now we like added this guy let's see how it goes really I don't see that at all yeah well I was gonna say I mean in the grand scheme of this season we talked about how you know Jason Kidd's future and the staff's future I mean it's really this year is is the the ultimate litmus test and I think you know you can say well they're not gonna fire Jason Kidd tomorrow because they just added this piece and they want to see how it works but I mean I didn't think they were gonna fire Jason Kidd tomorrow anyway um but the big question then is the bar is raised, I think, clearly for the end of this season. And, you know, we talked about how we didn't think Jason Kidd would be back if they didn't make it to the second round of the playoffs. I mean, that has to be even more true now because, you know, you've converted a guy in Greg and a future pick who, you know, obviously Greg, we hoped would be contribute, but um, especially with Henson playing well, you want to keep Thon in the game. You want to hopefully see Giannis play more in these small lineups at center. Um, this should only increase the ceiling of this team in the short term. And I'd say the pressure on the coaching staff to make the most of this is, is, has only increased. So, you know, maybe the likelihood, which was never probably a real likelihood of, of a change in the very short term um, gets pushed out. But um, I think certainly, yeah, for this season, uh, if the bucks don't start winning games pretty soon, um, or if pieces don't look like they're fitting together, if the defense continues to stink in spite of the fact that Greg Monroe is nowhere to be blamed and, Eric Bledsoe is around now, and there's no reason he should upset the apple cart there. Um, yeah, I would say that that actually this, um, you know, granted this might help Jason Kidd win more games if he can actually take advantage of this, but I'd say it also, um, you know, it raises the bar along with, you know, the, the ceiling of this team. So um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not worried about that because, again, I think um, the, it's the same same issue that we had the other day, and I think again the expectations are only going to rise. And um, I think there's there has to be accountability for the coaching staff if if they can't you know wring a lot out of this roster right now. I mean I haven't really thought about what I think this team should do, um, but I certainly think this team should be you know clearly better than than I thought they were going to be yesterday. Expectations equal accountability, and I think by adding someone as talented as Eric Bledsoe. Greater expectations equal greater accountability. Like this is a team that should win and uh, be able to make something happen, especially defensively uh, with this roster that they have. So I, I think there there is a there's a lot of pressure on the this coaching staff to to make this happen. This is I know Sean Devaney. 
uh, Devaney, excuse me, had said something about how, oh, this is kind of a, a move that puts some pressure on on Kid and on the coaching staff and uh, how this needs to be a breakthrough season. And, yeah, I, I do think that. And uh, he said that it wasn't quite a desperation move, but a move that maybe smelled a little bit of desperation. I wouldn't say reek of desperation, but maybe it smells a little bit of it. And yeah, the, the, the pressure continues to mount. So, uh, we'll have to see there. Um, after, after this happened, I saw some Bucks fans concerned about the number of bigs that the Bucks have. And I joked that surely John Hammond must have a number of burner accounts like Kevin Durant for that to be a concern. Uh, because to me, that that isn't a concern. But I do think it's not necessarily about having enough big. It's it, it's about having good enough bigs. And John Henson and Don Monroe are, are well, John Henson and Don Maker are now in a spot where it's on them. Like, like there, there's I can't imagine there's a lot of help coming anywhere else. Um, how does that kind of shake out, and uh, is that a fair spot to put a guy like like Don Maker in? Well, again, um, he showed enough I think last year, obviously, to to justify an increased role this this season. Obviously, he was starting anyway, but sort of a you know asterisk starter. Um, and again, I mean, I think it, I I want to put Thon in in that in that role, right? I don't want to have you know some other random veteran guy that that's going to prop up you know the team maybe in the short term because he does maybe does some things a little bit better than Thon now because I'd rather see what Thon is and and you know again there's no substitute for actually playing um it's not a question of him about you know effort and putting the work in um his three-point shot seems to be coming around a little bit so that's a positive but now it's a matter of kind of doing everything else and, and having the team results uh kind of bear it out so um I, I'm fine with with kind of rolling with a shorter center rotation moving forward obviously we've been getting used to this Henson the team has obviously played really well with Henson on the court um you know is is John Henson some different player than he was before no I don't don't think so but um you know on most nights especially in a league where there aren't that many dominant low post centers you're not facing DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis very often um you know he's he's shown that he can get by and so I think we're seeing this interesting shift here with this move where you know John Henson actually is I don't say he's not like worth his contract at this point. Like it's not like teams are going to go out and absorb John Henson into their cap space because they see him as this very useful player. Now I, I still don't think you could give away John Henson right now. Um, but at a minimum, the Bucks are using a guy that they're paying over ten million dollars a year for. Um, and you know the flip side is Della Vadova. Obviously now what is his role? Um, but I think from a big man perspective, um, I think the upside here is. Thon and Henson obviously are, are going to be the, getting the, the the majority of the minutes, and then you know we talked about small ball puberty lineups with Giannis being the yep. center, and how much we'd like to see that become a more regular thing. And again, not that it's going to be a fifteen minute per game thing. You know, it's like the death lineup in in Golden State. They've never used that in huge doses during the regular season, but being able to trot it out for five to seven minutes and being able to kind of really turn the screws, obviously that would be a dream scenario if you could, you know, develop that type of lineup um, in Milwaukee. And, you know, justifiably we can question if if Jason Kidd's going to be able to get that type of results. But at least this puts them in a position where they will look at that longer. Um, So I think anybody who likes small ball Giannis lineups should be, you know, feeling better right now. um, and certainly, you know, on the margins, uh, DJ Wilson, we haven't really seen him actually get any minutes uh, yep. with any consistency since Greg Monroe has been hurt. Jason Kidd has alluded to that. Hasn't really happened yet. Um, again, I don't really buy DJ Wilson as like a real NBA center, but um, he is, you know, nominally has the size to, to play some small ball center. And I think Joel Ballenboy, who had a nice first game with the herd, um, he's an interesting player who now certainly if there's an injury uh, to like, Don or, or Henson, um, he yep. actually could actually play some minutes. And, you know, he's a guy who's actually developed his perimeter shot a little bit. He's a high energy guy. Um, he's an interesting piece. And again, like we'll see, I think he'll at some point probably get a chance to, to show a little bit with, with this team. Um, but all those kind of guys on the fringes get a little bit more chance. So um, again, like if you need to go find a random end of bench center to kind of eat some minutes, Joel Anthony, man, he's ready in <laughs> camp. He's ready. To he go. is ready. He is ready. I don't, I have no concerns that you can get some, 
you know, and it's not going to be maybe average minutes, but um, I think you can probably get more than replacement level play from a random big man that that's out there. And bear in mind as well, the Bucks have a $5 million trade exception that they got in the Roy Hibbert deal. I think Roy Hibbert's also available, um, but they got the, they have, uh, and actually I don't think they could trade for him because uh, I think you have to wait a year to, to, to get a guy back. I think maybe, or actually, no, I don't think he was, I don't know if he was bought out, but whatever, it's not going to happen. Um, but I think the, uh, I, they do have this $5 million trade exception. And because Monroe makes about $3 million more than uh, Bledsoe, they have uh, probably around like $4 million under the luxury tax right now. So even though they added um, salary next year, because Bledsoe's obviously uh, on the books for $15 million next year, and we can talk about what that means for 2018, but in the short term, they actually have a way that they could go out and acquire like a $4 million contract from a team that maybe, you know, wants to shed salary. And, you know, if they're really worried about that, they could do that and, you know, wave DeAndre Liggins or, you know, whatever it might be. So, um, so yeah, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how that stuff plays out, but that's probably not my biggest concern right now, just because, you know, again, um, I, 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 I don't want to, I want to get us away from like the Bucks playing with big, (laughs) <laughs> non-moving centers yeah. and greg obviously did valuable things to kind of compensate for that but um you know like they they could have now been under the tax with without stretching spencer hawes you know if you knew that you're going to be able to do this then you can say in hindsight that like oh well you know they didn't need to wait you know stretch spencer hawes oh, to get horse tax. an idiot how didn't he know that eric bledsoe <laughs> was going to be so available yeah well um but on the flip side like i mean I don't really want Spencer Haas no, on this roster. No. Like I'd, I'd rather roll with the guys you have. And, you know, again, Spencer Haas was, was okay, I guess when you had him, but um, I'd rather roll with the guys you have. And I don't really trust Jason Kidd to not play Spencer Haas random, you know, second quarter minutes, yeah. most nights like he did last year. So um, I'd rather kind of stay smaller. And again, if, if, you know, you do reach a situation where you're down a, a big man, um, I think it may be a, a positive forcing mechanism to go, you know, run with some smaller lineups yeah. and also maybe give, you know, Joel Ballenboy a shot to see what he has. Um, not that he's going to become some savior center of the future guy, but um, I'm, I'm okay with rolling the dice on, on, on maybe, you know, being big man light, especially over the last few years. By the way, I was going to, oh, go ahead. I was, I was thinking about like going back and looking at like moves the Bucks have made over the past couple of years. You know, most of them, especially given how the cap was expected to be higher and things like that, like you can make arguments that like at the time, you know, individual moves weren't totally unreasonable mm-hmm. and, and that only, you know, really an aggregate did did it really kind of like, does it really hurt you, right? And I don't think anybody would, would argue that obviously you wish you didn't sign Henson to that extension and sign Toledovic to a three-year deal and sign Delavado to yeah. a four-year deal. Like obviously at this point, like we know that was bad. But the one that still kills me, like it's just amazing, like... I mean, we were like, what, what, when it happened? But I, I, it's, it's like when you go back and you see Miles Plumley getting that contract last year. Even, <laughs> even, even, with the, even in a world where the cap was expected to be higher, that is still just mind-boggling. mind-boggling. Like yeah. that, that move has to be the best argument for John Hamm and having autonomy to make moves, right? Because like, if there were like five or six people involved, like. <laughs> There's no way someone's sucking you out of it. Someone. How, how could that? How could that deal have happened if like more than one brain was was thinking about it? I don't know, and I don't have any inside info on that. But um, but yeah, that's still yeah, just like mind-bogglingly bad. Like I I hope for John Horst's sake that uh, that he was you know sitting there arguing against that one. But um, either way, uh, so uh, so one thing I want to talk about was uh, I know throughout the last year I think we've made jokes about like trading. Henson, Monroe, whoever, and then having people tweet us like, "Oh, well, what do you? You don't have enough centers." And like, I think our our response throughout all of it was like, "Yeah, you do. Like, you're fine. <laughs> you don't need a, a bunch of centers." Like, what, what's the worst thing that happens? I have to play Giannis at center? Like, oh no, that sounds terrible. I, I would never want something like that. Oh, just wait. I would love it. I want that all the time. Uh, so I, I don't. I don't. I'm not all that concerned about it. I, I do think. You need to see Henson and Maker continue to improve and play better this season and and keep being more consistent uh, as they go through things. But overall, I I don't really find that to be a huge deal. Um, I think one thing I want to touch on more specifically is Eric Bledsoe specific. I know we've both kind of touched on what this does, but I don't know if we've 
talked about him specifically. And I, I guess to me, the things about Bledsoe that are exciting to me are, one, his defense. I, I do think there's still that potential in there for him to be a top 5 to 10 point guard defender um just with his athleticism with his quickness i think that's really exciting to me um but i think a a lot of people might maybe be concerned about the fit offensively um and when you uh when you grab him and you see how well brogdon is fit in you see how well he's able to to shoot some threes how he's been able to improve his playmaking i think a number of people say like well maybe Bledsoe comes off the bench, and you you keep Brogdon in there, and I just don't see it. And I understand the concerns over Bledsoe's fit, but looking at what he did last year, it was a 37.9% catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, but there's only about two three-point attempts in those situations per game. And uh, when you head over to clean the glass and look at his shooting frequency and, and kind of how all of those, those things fit in, you see that a number of his, his shot attempts are, are not assisted. And a, a number of them were spots where he, he was having to create some of those off the dribble. So I, I think to me... I know that the exciting thing about him is his creation abilities and his ability to get to the rim. And again, you look at his free throw rate and how often he's able to get to line. And that's extremely exciting from the point guard position from the Bucks because um, I don't know if Brogdon and Delhi necessarily have that dynamism. Um, but with Bledsoe, I'm curious to see if there's room for him to grow as a, as a catch-and-shoot guy. Because I don't think it's necessarily been a role that he's really had a chance to play, even when he was maybe playing some some off-ball with Goran Dragic, some off-ball with Eric Bledsoe, or with uh, with Brandon Knight, excuse me. I, I don't know that Bledsoe ever really got the chance to, to just be that guy and to have some catch-and-shoot. And also, he's a fantastic cutter. Uh, so I, I do have to say I understand the concerns people may have with fit, but to me, I'm also excited to see what Bledsoe can do in a more high-profile off-ball role because certainly we've seen this year, if there's one thing Giannis does, it's draw a crowd. And it's going to be fun, I think, to see Bledsoe be able to maneuver in that space, whether that means he becomes a better three-point shooter, whether that means he finds some open cuts to the basket because he's dynamic. So I'm excited to see what that looks like as he plays off of Giannis. Yeah, I mean, the three-point shooting is the big question. I mean, this is this is why my view is always like, you know, be opportunistic going after Eric Bledsoe. Don't don't give up a, a, yeah. a major asset to do it, Absolutely. right? And, you know, you look at his, his shooting the last few years. Last year, 5.1 three-pointers per 36, attempted 33.5% from deep. Not great, right? The year before, 4.4. 37.2%. Okay, that's a better number. The year before that, 32.4%. year before that, 35.7%. The year before that, 39.7%. In his first two years in LA, he didn't shoot many and didn't shoot well at all. So, um, you know, career, 33% from three. Not great, right? Nope. Um, he's been inconsistent the last few years. Um, obviously, you hope that you know, again, maybe being less of a focal point, can he um, develop a bit more consistency from three-point range? And and that's a question. You know, that's a big question. But um, obviously the trade-off is that he gives you other things. And, you know, last year he had the same number of free throws uh, attempted per 36 as Giannis, seven and a half free throws per um, per 36. He's a good free throw shooter, shot 85% last year. He's been at 80% the previous few years as well. Um and, you know, again, he's not really thought of as a playmaker per se uh, in terms of like being a pure point by any stretch. But, you know, per 36, almost seven assists per game last year, six and a half the year before, 6.36 6 the, the previous few years. Um, you know, he's always been a guy that can at least create a little bit for others. He's not, you know, again, the the Chris Paul type no. guy or something like that. No, no illusion of that. Um, but he makes plays. And, you know, again, if he can become an average three-point shooter if he can get to you know 35 36 percent from three and um be a guy that you know as much as you know certainly if he can hit open uh, spot up threes that would be huge given the way the bucks offense works but also be the guy that can finally maybe pull up off the dribble from time to time when needed and hit shots that's obviously important and you know defensively i think the the big concern is you know defensively um 
I mean, we, we haven't really seen him last couple of years be in situations where he has to defend at a high level. You know, this team in Phoenix has not been competitive. He had injuries a couple of years ago. Last year, he plays 66 games and then gets shut down for the remainder of the season because the Suns want to be bad. Um, you know, how you kind of gauge him, you look at some of the advanced numbers on him, his defensive real plus minus was slightly negative last couple of years, which, you know, again, isn't necessarily an indication that he's now like a bad defender, especially as a point guard. It's hard to have a plus drpm um and make a big impact there the year before uh in 14 15 he was one of the best in the league i think he was like almost plus two um in defensive rpm which again is like a measure of um how many points per 100 you add to your team um, on both offense and defense and so you know he's been a plus two i think the last two years overall mainly because of his offense um so you know again the, the the numbers around him generally are positive they don't paint the picture of a superstar by any stretch um but you look at his numbers as well just as raw numbers you know his steel numbers he's been between you know one and a half and two basically throughout his career um he's been at you know at least half a block shot from the point guard position per 36 the last few years uh, so you know again he he does make plays um and he has a you know six two in shoes uh, i think was his official draft measurement or six one and a half and then six seven and a half wingspan so you know he has a very solid wingspan for for his size and then i think it's really just the strength you know i mean he he's a yeah. guy that you know his nickname was mini lebron and it wasn't because you know he was you know tall right it's because he was or he relatively was small strange petty tweets right but right that, that is also well, he did that too but yeah um <laughs> but uh obviously he's a guy that um you know has uh and, and we'll see i mean i think it's not like he's completely lost his athleticism or something since he's had these knee injuries um he's probably played less athletically than maybe he did certainly in la where he was just you know a dunking kind of phenom yeah. Um, but you know, again, he's still evidence that he makes plays. Um, he still can obviously beat people off the dribble. Uh, you know, last year, one of the league's better pick and roll finishers from the point guard position, which is a big deal. And, you know, hopefully that can be something that he works with Giannis being, you know, think about that, right? We talk about how not credible Adele is as a pick and roll ball handler in terms mm-hmm. of his getting his own shot. Um, now think about Bledsoe, if he can develop some nice chemistry with Giannis, who's, you know, one of the most efficient finishers when he can actually get the ball in pick and roll. So, um, you know, I think very legitimate questions about uh, about you know what ki- what kind of player he's going to be after a couple of years in the desert, literally and figuratively, with the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> um, but again, you know, this league is about taking taking your chances when you think they can pay off. And you know, again, I think we're we're past sort of the idea of of forgetting about the present and just playing young guys and just you know only thinking about what's going to happen three four years from now you have to find the balance and uh, obviously Bledsoe he's 27 now going to turn 28 soon certainly the next year or two you would expect him to still be hopefully in his prime um, questions abound thereafter like what you do with them but again I think you're at least getting a couple years out of this and look you know you're not going to get a really you know quality player for I don't want to say nothing but for a first round pick you know for hopefully what amounts to a mid to late first round pick and an expiring salary if the guy's perfect like that's just that's yep. just the reality um and uh you know i think there was at least some twitter i think it was from um what, what was his name gamboro the guy from from phoenix oh, I think gambadoro he, yeah gambadoro i think he also said something about how the bucks were at or, or at the top of bledsoe's list of places to play um and that's important right because that was obviously something we talked about a lot with with the Kyrie opportunity right is if you bring Kyrie in, does he, you know, want out immediately? Does he not want to resign in two years, whatever it might be? And um, obviously with Bledsoe, you would hope that he's a guy that can really embrace a role here where, you know, he's not worried about being a superstar, but he can still be a very good player. He'll still get opportunities. And um, and hopefully, you know, God willing, he can actually win some games here, which uh, it's obviously been a while since, uh, since he did that. I guess where I'm interested with him is I think there's a little bit of, needing to prove something that uh, he's been so trashed by the sun's organization and by essentially by being in the desert that I think there's a number of people that wonder how good he is. And, and, and I do, I think you have to have some concern that maybe that means he wants to go out and prove that he's the man and he can be the best, but also you hope that, It just means that he understands that the best way to prove how good he is is to play well with Giannis, to help the team win a bunch of games, uh, to be great defensively, to show that he can play off somebody else. Like that—that's probably 
how he gets his next contract is being able to show that he can be uh, a competent teammate. He can be a guy that uh, really works well with others, that can function well in a, a, a team that wants to win a contending team uh so i'm very interested to see kind of what he is who he is uh how he plays and kind of how his game transforms uh but but i think there there's a lot to be excited about but at the same time obviously there there are significant questions and one one starting with his play two then his uh, i guess maybe i should start with his health one his health two his play three uh how much you how long you're going to have them for it's two years so it's not just a one-year deal so i think that's mitigated somewhat but i do think it puts the bucks future into flux a little bit and that was the one thing i wanted to talk about before we wrapped up was obviously greg monroe's deal would have been done after this year and then you would have Bledsoe taking over uh that that same money essentially this year but next year now Bledsoe's on on the cap as well so frank you are our fearless cap expert um i'm going to ask you to lay these things out um and kind of let me know what the buck cap looks like next season um, what kind of possibilities they have and then i think the big question is obviously how does this possibly affect jabari parker and his future in milwaukee yeah and that's that's the exact right question to ask so um i think as we discussed previously jabari will enter next summer as a restricted free agent if the bucks make him a qualifying offer which um given he won't be able to play um enough minutes to qualify as a what's called starter criteria um he'll probably get a, a qualifying offer of a 4.3 million which he could take and then be uh a uh, unrestricted free agent in 2019 um but obviously you'd expect him to go look for a, a much bigger long longer term deal and he will count against the bucks cap actually 20.3 million until uh he either signs a new contract leaves whatever it might be so when you kind of piece all this together um the bucks in total with again eric bledsoe counting for 15 million against the cap that's the big addition with monroe having you know would have counted nothing assuming they renounced him and didn't bring him back um rashad vaughn not having his option picked up looms very large because that's three million uh, of additional room that you certainly are very happy to have right now um but in total uh the number that you're at uh all said you know with and, and again this counts Giannis, bledsoe middleton henson toledovich snell delavadova uh thon maker dj wilson malcolm brogdon and sterling brown um i think that's what 11 players uh you get to uh, 100 close to 108 million in, t- in in cap obligations um the luxury tax i've seen estimated for next year at 122 or 123 um so effectively uh, and i'm also including the tw- a two two million dollar hold for the 2018 first rounder which we'll talk about in a minute so you know effectively if you took all that at face value let's say it's 12 roster spots with the first rounder that means you could add jabari at the 13th roster spot and you could pay him up to let's say 15 million or so um and and still be under the tax if it was 123 million and so that 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 tax number which we don't know for sure yet is going to loom very large next year for the bucks um the pick protections are really interesting because if the Bucks convey the first rounder this coming summer, which, you know, again, you, you wouldn't really expect given where the protections are, 11 through 16 is the only way it would, would convey. Um, if that conveyed, then you'd have, you'd take off the extra 2 million of that first rounder. Um, and, and again, then you'd have, you know, an additional 2 million that you could pay Jabari in the first year of his salary. So, you know, again, it's not like you have $5 million to pay Jabari Parker next summer and retain him while staying under the luxury tax. Um, I'm sure a lot of Bucks fans probably wouldn't want to spend at this point more than a contract starting at around $15 million anyway. Um, but obviously we know that I'm sure his agent, Mark Bartelstein, will push for more than that. And yep. we don't know what the free agent market will look like um, next summer. There are not that many teams with cap space and whether they would want to you know, take a, a dice roll on a restricted free agent like Jabari, who's obviously going to have a lot of questions. Um, I don't know if any team is going to want to pay him 25 million or even 20 million next year so um, a lot of questions uh, about what his market will look like not knowing what he's going to look like the rest of the season things like that so bottom line um you know 
the Bucks would presumably, based on the numbers we have now, maybe they have 15 to 17 million, depending on whether that first rounder conveys. And I think the other interesting piece of this is if that first round pick does not convey, I believe I'm not, I haven't double checked this because we haven't really seen the Bucks have a lot of these like weirdly protected picks, but I believe they could convey that in a trade, like do a different trade where they attach like a first round pick to another salary. So for instance, if they wanted to trade Matthew Delvadova, and they had to, you know, provide some type of, you know, if the trade doesn't convey to, if the pick doesn't convey this summer, that they could maybe convey that pick, obviously, to um, to another team this during the season. Obviously, once the season is over and they know where they're picking, if they're if they have a first round pick, they could trade it at that point to clear more salary space. But um, be sure to watch that. I mean, obviously, you don't want to trade first round picks regardless. Um, but if the Bucks do make a move, um, there could be opportunities to still move that first round pick this year, even if it doesn't convey. So, um, again, a lot of moving parts, but um, certainly still very possible to keep Jabari Parker. And again, it's not like they couldn't sign him to you know, potentially an even bigger contract that would put them in the luxury tax next summer uh, and then try to get out from under the tax during the season because that's obviously also something you can do. You only It's based on where you are at the end of the season. So um, I think this does not certainly say that the Bucks aren't going to pay Jabari Parker or aren't going to keep Jabari Parker, um, but it does put a bit more, uh, bring them closer to that, you know, luxury tax number next summer, which obviously I'm sure they do not want to go above because then you lose luxury tax revenues. You have a little less flexibility in terms of other guys you can sign, things like that. So 15 to 17 for Jabari would be that, would be where they'd where they could go to stay under the luxury tax. They could go over and try to get back under. And I think one thing I've seen in my mentions quite a bit since this has happened is a bunch of people saying, well, I'm sure they're not done. They're still they're still going to make a move with Deli or Toledovich or Henson or whatever it may be. And I will say pretty much what I've always said. I'm sure the Bucks would love to trade any of those people. I'm also sure that no team is taking on those deals without a sweetener. I think if there's one thing that we learned this offseason, it's that you have to give teams kind of a reason to take on your your dead money. And you better hope that that dead money is only for one year, like it was in, with Greg Monroe, and not two years, like it would be for Toledovich, or three years, like it would be uh, for Delia or Henson. And I think those those deals are going to be really hard to move out from underneath. It. And like you said earlier and on previous pods, like maybe one of the ways is to trade for another guy that does have that length of contract but is maybe a little bit cheaper. Um, and maybe then you don't have to give up as significant of a sweetener. But yeah, I, I know a bunch of people want that to be the case and want that to be the, the next deal that they make. But uh, I think there is a little bit of danger in that hope or maybe that belief that that could happen without some sort of significant sweetener. I I just don't see that happening. So uh, I think it makes everything more interesting. And uh, again, uh, I know Arnovitz and Lowe mentioned it last week that Jabari Parker remains one of the most interesting cases uh, going forward in this makes it even more interesting uh, because now all of a sudden, Going forward, that next year that he's healthy, is he the fourth best player on the team? Um, is that something that's attractive to him? Is that something that he is fine with taking maybe a little bit less money? Or is that something where he doesn't like that role and he wants to be uh, to have a bigger role and maybe that means signing in Milwaukee is less attractive? I don't know. I, I don't know how any of it plays out. Um, but I do know that it's going to be very interesting and uh, I know we'll end up talking about it a whole lot this summer. So um, I'm curious to see where that goes, but I think that's a good breakdown. So uh, 15 to 17-ish now for Jabari underneath the luxury tax, but the Bucks, since they have his bird rights, can always go over the luxury tax and then try to fight back uh, and get back underneath that later on. Uh, anything else you can think of? I know we're going to spend the next couple days doing this, but I think I've hit on all the topics I wanted to hit on uh, during this emergency pod. Um, anything else you got, Frank? No, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll forget some things and maybe we need to do like a mailbag pod um, just to make sure that we, we address any angles that, that we might have missed. But Ooh, um, that's a good idea. That could clean up everything tomorrow or maybe yeah. the day after. 
Yeah, yeah. So so we'll see. And again, all this with the asterisk of, you know, obviously the Bucks were exchanging medical information around Eric Bledsoe uh, to try and be as smart on his medical situation as possible before this trade happens. But um, presumably there will still be obviously a physical you would expect. And um, you never know what might happen. So I know you raised that possibility at the beginning of the pod. I think it's worth reminding, um, I, you know, again, you don't necessarily expect to see a, a deal like we saw with Isaiah Thomas where, you know, there were uh, buyer's remorse and talk yeah. of, of uh, going back and running it back. Um, obviously, this trade's a little bit different just because um, Bledsoe wasn't playing for the Suns anyway. So um, it's not like if the trade was rescinded that it would be really awkward to go back to Phoenix because it was going to be awkward anyway and um, probably more awkward for the Bucks just because Greg Monroe would, would be back. But again, I don't think Greg Monroe had any illusions about um, him not being a subject of trade rumors given everything that's happening. So you never know. Um, but obviously, I think best case scenario for the Bucks is that you know everything checks out as, as expected and there's still risk certainly in, in those knees from, from Eric Bledsoe. But uh, again, I'd say to kind of wrap it up, you know, this move has risk, absolutely. Um, but I think it was a risk worth taking for the Bucks, and and I would um, say it's not maybe as big of a risk as you would think. Like I, I would really be stressing out over the risk if a guy like Brogdon or Thon or maybe even to a lesser extent DJ Wilson was included with a first round pick. But really, the the risk is kind of there, right? Like that is what what the risk is in this trade, right? Because I, I don't it's, know yeah. that that men, losing Monroe's dead money is is really a risk, and maybe that second rounder as well, but it would be future risk that, that you're really worried about. Right, and keep in mind, so there was no way the Bucks were going to have, like, the money that they're going to pay Eric Bledsoe next year, $15 million, that, that was never going to be available to them in, in the terms of cap space this summer. Um, they could they have had... They could have bought and signed someone. Right, they could have had the full mid-level of, like, let's say $9 million. Um, but, you know, do you really think you're going to get somebody you know equivalent or better than Bledsoe with $9 million in free agency versus... Um, getting Bledsoe for 15 via trade. And and I, I just don't think no. so. Yeah. I mean, I think if you go into free agency expecting that you're going to add some like super long-term young starter or something like that, you're kidding yourself. I mean, we've seen that over and over again. Like the guys that the, the young guys who, who get paid in free agency are often ironically, some of the big risks. I mean, the bucks tried to get Kent Bazemore, you know, they tried to pay him what $70 million and they're probably lucky that they didn't get Kent Bazemore and instead <laughs> no, got Delavidova. I mean, you know, getting Delavidova and Toledovich is actually preferable to getting Bazemore, ironically, just the way Bazemore's played and, you know, just the, the way that the cap has has changed or the perspective on some of these contracts. So, um, you know, again, free agency is, is a very, very tricky place to play. And the upside, you don't have to give up a future first-round pick. The downside you're just not really going to get impact players typically. So, so we'll see. I, I think the one thing we haven't talked about from the agent standpoint, um, for those curious, no, uh, Jeff Schwartz is not Eric Bledsoe's agent. Um, <laughs> Eric Bledsoe's agent is Rich Paul though. So, uh, another big kind of mover and shaker in the NBA. Um, and I think in some of the others, you know, rumors that have surrounded Eric Bledsoe, there's been talk of, you know, perhaps because of Rich Paul being LeBron's friend and agent uh, the agent for lebron james you know were they trying to angle uh to get bledsoe to cleveland and uh, obviously that didn't happen uh but uh i, I don't know i mean i don't think that's really a, a big angle but it will be interesting well, to see um, i mean uh, until i mean Giannis signed with nike today and you know clutch sports so maybe now that lebron is a free agent maybe <laughs> milwaukee's a destination <laughs> give them that uh give them that like uh you know minimum level contract or whatever <laughs> that they'll have this summer the the taxpayer mid-level um yeah but but it, it is at least interesting in the sense that you know bledsoe is another guy who's who's pretty high profile you know he's not a superstar yeah. he's not like a team usa guy um but he is a kentucky guy uh and uh you never know i don't know it'll be interesting to see kind of if if if, as assumed, everything kind of goes through. Um, always interesting to add another guy like this. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't have strong opinions. I, I don't, doesn't seem like Eric Bledsoe is a bad guy. We didn't really talk about, you know, the controversy over his uh, I don't want to be here tweet. But as we said, you know, a couple weeks ago, when we first started talking about trade rumors. I don't really blame Eric Bledsoe for wanting to get the hell out of Phoenix. This is a team that's basically chased, you know, a number of good players out of uh, out of the desert. Goran Dragic among them, and uh, to be honest, you know, after what he went through last year with being shut down while having yep. his best season as a pro, I mean, 
you know, I, I'm not really that worried about that stuff reflecting on Bledsoe, but I also don't know what Bledsoe is going to be like in a new situation. So good that he seems to be excited to come here, but um, you never know what that dynamic is going to be like in a, in, a new t- in a new team. Yeah, I was just thinking about what Arnovitz said last week where he was like, well, if you tell this guy you don't want him to be here when he's having the best year of his career, well, you can't be mad when he says he doesn't want to be here because you already told him that you didn't want him to be here. You were playing too well last year. Uh, so to be surprised that you you poisoned the well, well, it, it shouldn't be all that surprising. So, um, yeah, I, I don't. I, I know some people have that, that malcontent kind of label on him, but I just don't know that I really see it. Um, I could understand. I think being mad about being a Phoenix Sun is... logical like fair um we've all heard horror stories about robert sarvers so like that i don't think that's that's really all that shocking uh that you would not enjoy playing in phoenix so um i I don't hold it against him but maybe i should and uh, i guess we'll see uh how that all turns out to be so we'll keep an eye on that and uh keep an eye on all this and like frank said i think that might be the easiest way we'll we'll send out with this maybe just a, uh, another couple of tweets that say like hey if you have questions that we didn't cover that you're very curious about go ahead and hit us up and then that way we can try to try to cover some of that because we try to do everything that we could here as we re- recorded this emergency podcast so uh that is going to be it for us uh we i i think we're still going to talk to you after the cavaliers game tonight which means i'm gonna have to talk to frank in like 10 hours which Man, that's a lot of Frank Madden in my life, and a lot of Frank Madden and Eric name in your guys' life. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you later.